Hey, pop quiz. Do you know the difference between a marriage and family therapist, a clinical social worker, a professional clinical counselor, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist? And I would say that for most people that email me or come into my office or write my name on a check, actually, even people in my immediate family, I am pretty sure that that answer is no. And does it even matter? Kind of. I remember one time in particular where somebody was desperately trying to get a family member in to see me. I'd worked with someone else in their family. And so despite a very full schedule, I made time. I fit this person in. And they came into the first session. And as I started to lay out the standard things that a therapist says in their first session about confidentiality, harm to self and others, don't hurt old people, if I bump into you on the street, etc., he hands me this piece of paper and it has a list of medications on it. And I looked at him and I thanked him and I started up again with my spiel. And he cuts me off and said, hey, I know we only have a really short amount of time and uh, I'm out of this medication. And I'm curious what you thought about this other one. Would you recommend that I switch this one up? Would you bump up the dosage? And I thought to myself, uh, you know, kind of hey, easy there, champ. We literally have 47 more minutes. We'll get to the medications as this uh, initial assessment happens. And he cuts me off again and he asked me if I will be able to write him a prescription for a refill of his current meds nonetheless because he is running out. And I explained that I was a licensed marriage and family therapist and that I couldn't write prescriptions. And he said, okay, honestly, I don't want to waste your time, um, but that's all I'm looking for. And he, he really did. He literally got up and he left. So in that scenario, it definitely helps to know the difference. So simply put, the first three examples I gave, a marriage and family therapist, that would be me, a clinical social worker, a professional clinical counselor. We all received bachelor's degrees, and then we went on to get master's degrees in some type of counseling or social work program. And so what we can do is we can then see clients in one-on-one therapy settings and some like clinical social workers can see clients like I do, and they can also go into the community and they connect people with resources. And if you didn't want to stop with the master's degree, then you go on to get your PsyD or doctorate of psychology, which typically takes about another three years. And that is what makes you a clinical psychologist and the title of doctor. And in that scenario, you're more likely to work with individuals who maybe have more severe mental illness, and you also work more with psychological testing. So a psychiatrist, then, that is the medical doctor. They've literally gone to medical school. They've delivered babies. They've done their rounds. But then they settle into the brain, the mental health, and they are the only ones out of the professions that I mentioned that can prescribe medication. So why am I laying this out as the intro to this episode about depression? Well, it's because this is a special bonus episode with a guy named Nate Christensen. And at the time when we recorded this episode, probably, I think it was probably three years ago, Nate was in school getting his master's degree in counseling to become a professional clinical counselor. So Nate graduated and he did what's called a practicum where he spent almost a year seeing clients for a nonprofit organization. And then after completing his practicum, he is now on the road to receiving some 3,000 hours total of experience before he can sit for his licensing exams. So he definitely has some uh, some road under his tires. And while a therapist or a counselor is putting in those pre-licensure hours, they have to work under the supervision of a licensed supervisor. So drum roll, please. I am happy to share that I am working with Nate in the position as his clinical supervisor. So we meet weekly in supervision. He has an office in my building and he is officially open for business and taking new clients. So if you live in the state of California, more, or specifically, if you want to come in the office in the Sacramento area or the roseville area, and you're looking for help and you like what you hear in this episode, please feel free to reach out through the contact form on my website at TonyOverbay.com. 
and I will put you in touch with Nate. So he has primarily been working with adult and adolescent males, but he has experience with most all ages, both male and female. And he works a lot with depression. You're going to hear a lot about that today or anxiety, ADHD, and addiction. And I say this often, one of the most important factors in the success of therapy is the relationship between the therapist and the client. So if you don't feel like you can trust or be open with your therapist, then progress can be far more difficult to achieve. So with that said, I am excited to share this bonus episode with Nate, where he lays out his 10 commandments of working with depression. And Nate will be coming on soon to record a new episode on attachment and addiction based on some of the work he did in graduate school, which is absolutely amazing. So more of that uh, in the coming weeks. So let me get to my interview with Nate Christensen, Associate Professional Clinical Counselor, working under the supervision of yours truly. And I left a lot of the intro of that initial recording in because it was kind of fascinating. I wasn't going to talk about this, but we were on our way, my wife and my daughter, Mackie, who's been on a couple of episodes and myself, we're on our way to drop Mackie off to college for the very first semester. And so it is uh, kind of fascinating that that was, uh, she spent a year there um, working in, with school and college and then kind of discovered uh, her true passion, which was um, cosmetology school and, and recently just graduated from there. So uh, I didn't realize that, yeah, it's been a little while since we recorded this episode. But I talk about that in the beginning because there were some significant things that we talked about in the car ride on the way to school while we were talking about this episode. So Without any further ado, let me get to my interview with Nate Christensen. Just a quick note before we get to today's podcast. Today's podcast deals with the topic of depression. There are a lot of people that are very close to me that struggle with symptoms of depression. So I did send this podcast out to a few of those people beforehand and received some amazing feedback. I actually listened to this podcast while driving with my wife and daughter out to drop her off at college. And we even used a lot of these um, takeaways that my guest Nate, Nate Christensen leaves. These He calls them his 10 commandments of managing depression. So the episode is excellent. I think it's going to help a lot of people. But uh, some of the feedback I received from some people that were very close to me is that the talk around depression for some Someone who is feeling depressed can feel almost somewhat triggering, especially when you hear the numbers or if you hear some of the, the symptoms or signs of depression. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of a warning and just say, hey, if you are in uh, struggling with depression, then I do feel like the 10, 10 commandments of managing depression will help greatly. So please, I hope that you will hang in there and listen to these to the, the full podcast and get these takeaways. I'm also going to try to come up with a nice graphic and put those on the virtual couch Instagram page. But I just wanted to let you know that, that we are going to deal with some signs, symptoms, numbers, facts before we get to those 10 commandments of managing depression. So I want to give you a little bit of a heads up. If you are struggling with depression or even if you think you may have signs uh, of depression, please go see a mental health professional. The Virtual Couch Podcast, as much as I am just passionate about it and love it, is no replacement for therapy. So with that said, oh, one more quick thing. When Nate comes on, I mentioned a, there's like an auditory, it's, well, it's actually, it's called misophonia. 
dysphonia. It's a selective sound sensitivity syndrome. So I could not think of the name at the time. I actually said it very quickly, misophonia. But that's the word that I was looking for. If you want to know more about misophonia, give it a quick look. Dr. Google can help. Misophonia, M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A. And that is when you may, maybe you or somebody that you're close to, is not just annoyed with chewing sounds, breathing, that sort of thing, but it just, they feel it's like nails on a chalkboard and that it's going to just absolutely drive them crazy. So there is something called misophonia, which there's some good information out on the web. And I, I wanted to get Nate on for a while. And so Nate and I have been traded a lot of messages to just see what he would like to come on and talk about. And he has a, a lot of experience in working with depression and he shares some of his own struggles with depression on the show today. And so I'm grateful for that. He brought brought a 10 commandments of managing depression, which I thought was amazing. I did not know that was coming. So he has some really 10 solid takeaways today, which I think is brilliant. And, uh, and I'm recording, I just have to tell you, I'm recording this now because when I would normally be doing the recording and editing, that sort of thing, I'm going to be taking daughter number two away to college with my wife. And I just, that is what an experience. The first time that I did it a few years ago, I could not believe how exciting, but yet how emotional it was at the end. I'm bawling like a baby. Was I a good enough dad? That sort of thing. And so I'm sure that's going to play out again. But if you get the chance, if you haven't, this is one of those things too, where when it was time to take first daughter to school, admittedly, I didn't know. I don't know how the game is played. And that's not a good excuse. But my wife was saying, hey, we're, you're, we're going out there. And then I was like, yes, we are. And my man brain went into, okay, I'm going to have to take that time off of work. And I only get, you know, whatever I work for myself, but if I'm not in the chair, I'm not making money. And then we got to pay for this and it's college. And then I had to think, okay, you know, this is a time where I need to put the needs of my family and ahead of any of those man brain things and trust that I will do whatever it takes. I will work as hard as I need to, to make that happen. And oh my gosh, am I glad that I did? It was such an experience. And so I'm giddy with getting out there to take her. So by the time this thing airs, I'm already there and, and it's, and it's going well. I know it is. I think as as a matter of fact, when I released this episode, I will have already last night said a very tearful goodbye. It was very emotional, I'm sure. But uh, I hope that I'm doing okay and not just sobbing all the way home. Actually, it's okay. If I sob the way home, it's all right. Uh, normal human emotion. Nothing uh, wrong with that. I'm not a robot. So now let me get on to that interview with Nate Christensen. Take it away, Nate. Gotta get rid of my gum. Yeah, well, you don't want to sound like was it like a cow chewing on cut or something. Yeah. Oh, what's the? There's a. Do you know that there's a? It's not a disorder, but there's a. There's a thing. Dog on it. I should know this before. Where it's people are really tuned into sound. I want to say it's mis- misophonia. Is it? Uh, we, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, you got me. Okay. I don't want to take the time to look at it up, but I might have to when you were talking at some point. I'll probably get back to it on that. But where people just become so in, just attuned to chewing sounds, slurping sounds. I have someone in, near to me that they just will hear chewing <laughs> and just, hey, can you knock it off? And at first I thought, everybody chews. I'm kind of relaxed. And sure. then, but there's a, I got to find this now. I will find this. I will find this. I will post about it, but it's a, cause then it kind of helps people. It normalizes that they don't feel they're crazy. If all they can do is focus in on somebody chewing or whatever. So for those people who may have the disorder of whatever, I don't know what it is <laughs> off the top of my head. I'm sure they thank you for throwing away your gum. Not a problem. All right. This is a repeat guest, Nate Christensen. Nate, welcome back to the virtual couch. Thanks, Tony. Our first episode. I, I love, and I'll always shoot you a text when I get, Hey, somebody brought it up in a session today. We talked about. 
Oh, our first episode? Yeah, yeah. We were talking about decision making. Yeah. I Sorry. knew it was, but no, I was not sure exactly what you were going with that. I was like, what, what was he I don't, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, wait, yeah, topic. yeah. Yeah, it was a yeah. blast. And I yeah. still pull the, I can sound really smart. You talked about the Dunning-Kruger effect. I will pull that out all the time when somebody will tell me a story about that somebody is going on and on about something they don't really know about. And I'm like, oh, do you mean the Dunning-Kruger effect? And so I learned that from Nate. So Nate and I have been wanting to do another episode for a while. We were trying to zero in on a topic, and and this is a big topic, Right. We're, today we want to talk about depression, and I thought that I would start out a little bit by just giving some facts about depression. The World Health Organization estimates that as many as 300 million people suffer from depression worldwide, and the United States alone, more than 15 million people suffer from major depressive disorder. And so it's when I first saw that number, and it says 6.7% of the population over the age of 18, admittedly, I thought it was kind of low, but that is the what meets major depressive disorder criteria, which yes. maybe we can talk about. But uh, there really aren't a lot of numbers of how many people just have a, not a major depressive disorder, but just feelings of depression. You know, actually, so I, I was looking into this, like trying to prep for, yeah. for us talking and it, it appears the numbers I'm seeing yeah. is, is in, over the course of any given year, 10 to 20% of the population wow. may be suffering from some sort of depression. Wow. Okay. So any given year and then, uh, and it's one of those type of things that it can, it can hit anyone yes. people and people go through times of their lives where they feel like they are more depressed. There's situational depression Mm -hmm. where people can be met with some life-changing event that brings on depression. There's seasonal depression. We're heading out of the summer, heading into the winter. I think that's one of the main times that you see a lot of seasonal depression. depression. So I was, okay, so many people have depression, turn to drugs and alcohol to make them feel better and numb themselves from their feelings. And so estimates uh, state that approximately 10.2 million adults live with a co-occurring mental health and addiction disorder. And I think that if you really step back and think about it, that's what makes treating depression even more difficult because when people feel bad and then they turn to something to help them feel better and typically it's not, Hey, how about a little bit more exercise or some deep breathing? Usually it's, it's, you know, name the addiction. Right. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about this. I I have major depressive disorder. So I'm 40. Mm. I was diagnosed with it when I was, I think, 22. I can recall feeling feelings of depression, significant depression, as far back as elementary school. Okay. But something that's, and, and it's genetically, there is a genetic component, Yeah. but we don't know exactly what it is. So you got you can't get too, oh, this is exactly yeah. what causes it, because we don't know for sure. Yeah. For, for me, Personally, when it comes to to my own depression and managing my own depression, I don't know if there's just a ton of things that you can do to make it better, mm. but there's almost equally amount of things you can do to make it worse. It might make it better for that moment, yeah. but then afterwards, it's just compounded so much worse. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I've never actually gotten a phone call while I'm, <laughs> <laughs> while I'm doing a podcast. I have not decided yet if I will try to uh, delete that, I well, guess. Who um, on earth is up at 6.42 in the morning? I don't know. Um, it's probably your family. So I, I was like, I look like a telemarketer. I've been getting a, a bunch of those lately on my cell phone. And so I'm so popular. Uh, uh, I don't think so. These are the ones that are trying to sell me. Uh, as a matter of fact, okay, now look at this. You got me in an ADD tangent now. Oh. Nate, but uh, I was playing one for my wife last night where somebody, they, they, it's so funny, they're so casual. And it just says, they don't say my name, of course. Hey, uh, this is Teresa. Just uh, following up on that $250,000 line of credit we were talking about. I got it right here on my desk and, and I don't understand the, per- what's, am I supposed to go, Oh my gosh, I forgot that I had set up this quarter of a million dollar line of credit with Teresa. I need to call her back and give her all of my information, my social security number, my bank account number. Who falls for that? You can ask the same question. <laughs> how many Nigerian princes are going to get money out of us? Because- fair amount. The guy seemed very legitimate, <laughs> right? He seemed very legitimate. 
the time. Okay, so back to... Okay, but what you were talking about, though, is many of those things that you can do that are good. The siren song of addiction calls as well whenever someone feels down. And it can look yeah. any... I mean, video games, gambling, uh, pornography addiction, alcohol. Even people can become addicted to exercise and, and sure. turn to that all the time. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think in terms of addiction, if you have to be addicted to something, exercise is probably low on the list of don't be addicted to that. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, there, were, there were worse things. Yeah. Full disclosure, a lot of times I, in my intro, uh, I was oh, I'm an ultramarathon runner and... I love getting to go talk about running these 100-mile distances or 24-hour runs. And when people just in general say, why do you? I love to say, I just because I can or so I can eat ice cream. But at its core, it's, there's some belief that we're all addicts of some sort. So it's like, yeah. how do you how do you find that socially acceptable, quote, healthy, I did air quotes, addiction? And so the running becomes one. But I've been pretty open about if I don't, if I go a couple of days without running, then I am shorter, fatter, balder. I'm a worse husband, father, a therapist, those sort of things. Because sure. it becomes just a part of what I need. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at exercise specifically, when you're looking at addiction, uh, there's, there appears research seems to be pointing towards an underactive dopamine system. And, mm. and that's where people oftentimes have a propensity towards addiction. And one of the things we don't necessarily know that it's the cause. In fact, I think a lot of researchers believe it's not the cause, but neurotransmitters, huge problem when it comes to depression. Yeah. So you can see the connection there. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. People that have addictions are using that addiction to get dopamine. Yeah. And a lot of people that are depressed have issues of dopamine levels, serotonin levels, norepinephrine level levels, all neurotransmitters. So yeah. that's probably at least partially the connection. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm reading a book right now called The Body Keeps the Score, which is just, uh, it's a fascinating book. It's really dealing with trauma and PTSD. But the one of the parts that I read yesterday was talking about, and I loved how he said, even people like uh, that are trying to run, he used a marathon runner where they begin to slowly, as they embrace the pain, they then, the, there is a, he's saying a physiological, physiological change in the brain that then goes to not only then embracing the pain, but then the pain becomes the normal thing. The pain becomes somewhat embraced. The pain becomes your baseline. And then it's almost now uh, it's a withdrawal of those chemicals that mm -hmm. come with the pain. Mm -hmm. And so then you are you're not as much focused on the man. I can't wait to, to exercise just because I want to feel that good. It's the when I'm not exercising, I don't feel good. Right. And, and I think that that's part of why for me. Like, I, I don't feel like I'll ever be cured of depression. I think most researchers and, and mental health professionals will tell another person, well, that's not something you can be cured mm -hmm. from. But that's why I like to use the term manage. Yeah, I like that, too. And we'll get to a little bit when I want to go through and you put together what you call your 10 commandments for managing depression. Yes. And then I want to, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit later is the concept of acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT, which I love doing and talking about with regard to depression, because you're right. You, you basically have to make room for depression, Yes. which, and, and yeah, because then that helps recognize that even when it's there, it's what, what are we going to do with it? Mm -hmm. Not the, Oh my gosh, it's here. I'm such a horrible person because I have it. I'll never get over this. Those aren't, those aren't workable thoughts, I guess. No, I want to really quickly go through. So we're giving a little bit of stats. I think we've covered that lots of ways to find help. There's a depression hotline. I'll put that in the notes as well. And a lot of people attend 12 step meetings for depression. You can meet with a mental health professional. Did I already give the disclaimer? 
No. Okay. <laughs> he didn't. Nate and I are not providing therapy through the podcast today. We just want to provide some information and things that we feel have helped us either in as, as individuals or uh, for me and my practice. But depression is a significant debilitating mental health condition. And with that said, we highly encourage you to seek treatment from a mental health professional. I, I, the really quick too, I, I thought this would be interesting. And then I want to get into your, I want to hear your 10 commandments. I have not, I do not know them. So I'm excited. But so it, I think it's important to note that most people do experience periods of sadness in their lives, especially after major events, job loss, divorce, mm-hmm. uh, death of a loved one. So clinical depression is different than that. And according to the DSM-5, which you're beginning to love, it is now in grad school, right? <laughs> no, I don't love it. Yeah, DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's the thing that we use as clinicians to diagnose. So depression is diagnosed or clinical depression, which reg- different than regular sadness, is diagnosed when you have five or more of the following symptoms in a two-week period. Depressed mood most of the day. And so you can even see how these are a bit subjective. They're very subjective, which is why I say I don't love it. And it's not, it's hugely important to our field, yeah. obviously, yeah. but it changes a lot. Yeah, it does. But it helps and us. That's uh, not bad because we're learning new things all the time. So it has to change. But I think you can get sometimes too wrapped up in the minutia of something. And it's like, oh, well, you only have four of these. so Right. So you must not be depressed. Right. Right. Okay. That's funny. I remember in grad school, apparently I didn't take the DSM serious enough. So then there would be some (laughs) discussions where people were doing that. Mm -hmm. And it was about the, so this one, you have depressed mood most of the day. What constitutes most of the day? Right. Yeah. Is it over the 12 hour mark? You know, is it, is it less than, but, but, but according, according to the DSM five, five or more of the following depressed mood most of the day, Loss of interest in almost all activities, significant weight loss or decrease in appetite, insomnia or hypersomnia, feelings of restlessness, fatigue or loss of energy, feeling worthless or guilty, sometimes for no reason, thinking or or trouble thinking or concentrating, and then recurrent thoughts of death or committing suicide. And then they note in here without a specific plan. If there is a specific plan, then that kind of, we take that a little bit more seriously. So, and then it can be, so there, okay, so there's the DSM criteria. And again, if you now realize, oh my gosh, I've, I've got a bunch of these and, and maybe my depression is something I need to deal with, please go see a mental health professional. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you only checked off three and a half or four of these, I think <laughs> I'm good, you know, still go see a mental health professional. Sure. Okay. All right, Nate, what brought you to the Ten Commandments of Managing Depression? So, as you mentioned, the first time we met, I'm a student, Mm -hmm. a graduate student working on a a graduate degree in counseling. I'd like to be a mental health counselor. So, I'm currently working on the degree through Northwestern University, and it's very challenging. It's very difficult. I went to kind of a regional college here for my undergrad, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't as demanding, and... I just kind of had some family things all of a sudden hit me. I got super stressed out. Okay. And to the point where my anxiety was so high that I was starting to like have physical symptoms. Okay. And it became paralyzing. Okay. And I ended up in a major depressive state. Okay. Uh, Here you were pursuing something that you were excited about, passionate about. Yeah. You, you, this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Were you, was this, wait a minute, what's happening here? I, well, I knew exactly or? what was happening okay. because it's happened before, but I was surprised I couldn't shake myself out of it because yeah. in the past I've had issues like this. You know, it's been a long time since I couldn't get out of bed. That okay. was a weird feeling. I was like, I thought I was past this. Yeah. And I, and I think that's maybe part of the management is understanding that you're never really totally past it. I, I really appreciate your vulnerability because that is 
here you're you're pursuing a a career now and something you love mm-hmm. and so that had to have just felt just said it was a surprise yeah 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 it was i mean that's, surprise is a pretty uh lame word right there i'm trying to well i mean i don't want to put words in your mouth no but i think it's fair because i i didn't i didn't expect that i was back gonna be back at this place that yeah. i was years and years ago like a decade ago or more so it really, it, it was really eye opening, and I think it's a good thing, and I'm glad it happened at this point, and yeah. not later on. You know, when I'm practicing, yeah. and you know, that would be that would be horrible, especially for my you know, poor clients. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't get out of bed. <laughs> right, right. That would yeah. be bad news. But right now, though, it does it, it gives you a tremendous amount of empathy. I can imagine. Well, yeah, yeah, certainly yeah. For people that that are going through depressed, you know, and and sometimes it's hard to empathize with someone that is unwilling to get out of bed in the morning, something mm. that simple. If yeah. you haven't been through it, yeah. if you've never been through that and, and there, you know, and somebody's just sitting there, you're like, you just got to get up. Yeah. yeah. The person it's laying easy, there, right? you're like a puddle of, of mess. And you're like, <laughs> why? Yeah. One, one, in one more episode of whatever, or one, I mean, I don't know. Right. Would you have the, or were there days where you just felt like it's just not happening today, period. Or was it at noon? I'll do it at noon. Then noon rolls around and, some days that's what it was. It's like, okay, I just would get up when I can. I, there was a lot of days I couldn't get up at all. So my, my parents are currently gone as missionaries there in Florida mm. and they literally had to take a plane home. I'm single. So I don't have someone there to yeah. kind of like cheerlead me out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> so they had to come back. I mean, I'm 40 years old and my parents had to come back. And get me out of bed. And, and, you know, that's, those are kind of on my, my commandments. So maybe I'll share a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's get into those. I feel like we can tell, yeah, we can talk for days. Okay. All right. So kind of based on what we just talked about, my first commandment is get up. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Depression is not going to get better if you're laying in bed. Now, that being said, if you're if you're dealing with someone that is struggling with depression, standing there and like get up, get up is probably not going to be helpful. But, you know, there's tactful ways that you can be encouraging and things like that. I remember the podcast I did with Shelly Aldrich about anxiety. It was I mean, I love what she said about, you know, at that point, I don't know if it's maybe the it's maybe not the fight or flight response, but the freeze response or so your brain's not thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Your brain's not thinking rationally. So when you're trying to lay out all these reasons, when the person is standing above them saying, here's eight reasons why you need to get out of bed. That's not registering. No, it's it's not. Because, I mean, the way that I like to explain it is is at that point, the emotions are overriding logic to the point that, I mean, your emotions are huge. And logic is just, I mean, it's there somewhere, but it's not going to override this huge uh, cloud. Okay. So the managing depression is get up. Do you kind of have some tips there? Well, I don't necessarily have tips, but I did want to... so. I mean, for me, it was setting an alarm. Okay. What I found happening is, is I would be up super late. I'd just be laying there mm-hmm. because I didn't get up until noon. Get up by get up. I mean, wake up. I didn't wake up till noon or yeah. one or two. And then I'll go back to bed until 4 a.m. I just lay there from two until 4 a.m. So the reason I'm, I'm saying just get up is yeah. because if you're in the bed, you're, you're not going to be able to do any of these other things. 
So yes, you've okay. got to get up well in order to do anything else. Okay, good point. And and I I looked at kind of some interesting things. So there was a study that that uh, was done by the University of Colorado, MIT, uh, Harvard, and the University of Vienna. Now they specifically looked at at female nurses. Okay. So if you're a female nurse, this specifically applies to you. I think it applies to a lot of people. Yeah. But, you know, that's just what they were looking at. They found that that. If you got up in the morning, based on on all of these nurses they surveyed, and there were several thousand of them, those that got up early, and early could be different for different people. Sure. For me, 7 a.m., I'm fine with that being early, but, you know, everybody's different. I say, that's halfway through my day, Nate. Yeah, I know. I'm, kidding. Well, I'm totally kidding. You've already, you've already right? run through three states. At, <laughs> okay, but yeah, so getting up early. Okay. Anyway, so 27% decrease in depressive symptoms in people that get up early. Okay. I like this. I have to tell you, I saw, I listened to a podcast long ago. I think it was one of Freakonomics radio or something. Mm-hmm. And I've been meaning to get back to it where they were talking about, can you be a, if you're an early morning person or a night owl and can you change the answer is yes. But they had some data that backed up the early risers were more productive. They were happier. Mm-hmm. They were all those things. So sorry, sleep in people. But to get up, right? Let's get going. Well, I mean, you, we have to adjust for people that have, you know, they're working third shift and yes. stuff like that. Don't go to bed at 6 a.m. and get up at 7 because we told you that because you're going to be less you're depressed. You're more productive. That's you're, right. you're not going to be less depressed because you're, you're no. going to have an hour of sleep. Right. Sleep is still mess. important. It's, and it's hugely way. important. Okay. So the next one is actually something you just said. Be productive. Yeah. And and. And in that, what I mean is, is getting up and watching TV all day is probably not going to get you out of feeling depressed, yeah. you know, and, and I'm not saying, you know, go clean your whole house, but just do what you can when you can. Yeah. I mean, get up and do something, make breakfast, maybe do the dishes, you know, if you like to get outside. Have you heard the, there's a, a viral uh, video speech of, I think it's someone, a Navy commander or something that talks about making your bed in the morning. So, so there's a, there's a Canadian psychologist, uh, Naval Captain, Canadian psychologist. Oh yeah. Who wrote a book. I think it's 12, 12. Yeah. I I, rules for life or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think his first rule was, was make your bed. Okay. And that's what, and this one's gone around for a while and, and where, and I think that's that point you get up and you have now accomplished something. Yeah. 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 So it's along those lines. So the next one is, is get active. And for me, this one was huge. And, and I'm including like, this is exercise is yeah. really what I'm looking at, but exercise is different for different people. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm spending about two hours a day, six days a week in the gym, but I didn't start that way. Yeah. This was months ago. I, I, there were, I, there were times I was to the gym once yeah. or twice during the week for an hour. Okay. So you got to understand where you're at and just, just get there. And I appreciate you saying that too. I feel like when even I'm suggesting that if I'm speaking somewhere to a client and you know, they assume I'm saying, Hey, can you hurry up and uh, get to the hundred mile running? Right. And I, no, just walk. Yeah. Just, and I remember hearing uh boy, now a million trains are coming at once, <laughs> but there was another one where I just talked about, there was a guy talking about, he got into the just even getting up and just stretching movement and it, and it mm-hmm. you know, the way it kind of stretches the muscle fibers and the, and it just it helps you from not just feeling stagnant and then from stretching to walking to just move. Yes. Right? Okay. Yes. And that's really what I'm talking about. If you have a gym membership and you get to the gym, great. Mm-hmm. If you don't, and all you can do is just 
walk around your yard at yeah. first. If yeah. that's all you can do at first, just do that. And But I do think it's important to, to point out, there's been several studies. I think the, the most recent I saw was through the University of Texas Southeastern, I think was, was the school. 18,000 participants. And they found that when they were polling these people, exercise was equally as effective as antidepressants. Okay. I did hear I mean, that. That's yeah, that's incredible. pretty big. Yeah. By the way, that's why I dig Nate. Nate's pulling things out from Texas Eastern, you know, report. You love that stuff, right? The research, the data. Oh, yeah. Some people, some people are probably like, dude, what's the wrong with this guy? This is so boring. <laughs> no, no, no. This is great. Okay. All right. So the next one. Are we on three? This is four. Four. Okay. Four. Improve your diet. And this ah. could be a couple different things. So you did mention there, you know, weight. Significant weight loss. Yeah. Some people with significant weight gain. Well, even as I was reading that from the DSM, that's what I was thinking. I get people that, you know, therapeutically eat and yeah. put on a fair amount of weight. Right. And that does, you know, and then they beat themselves up about that. Yeah. Well, and, and I mentioned before kind of the physiology of it with glycogen, mm. which is. Oh, wait, you and I talked about that. Yeah. yeah. Talk about that. I have okay. that on your innate, uh, the quote and my, when we were putting some notes together, I feel like I'm more attracted to things when I'm depressed, like video games carbs. And then we were talking about wondering if people who have depression have a propensity to overeat sugar carbs. And then I said, in my notes, I said, Nate, do your liver glycogen. thing. So here we go. Do that liver glycogen thing. All right. So, so glycogen is kind of the fuel of the body. And so when we eat, especially carbs, our liver will fill, fill with glycogen. And, and when it's full of glycogen, it can't take anymore, then it releases tryptophan. And tryptophan is that chemical in Turkey. That okay, that's why I think tired. That's, yeah, yeah, that, that causes us to fall asleep watching the cowboys and the lions. Right, right. right. So what then ends up happening is the body, a tryptophan. Now I'm, I'm not a neurologist, so this is my understanding, and this okay. hopefully this is a very basic. Okay, yes. this is at the most basic <laughs> level here. Uh, no nutritionist. My understanding is tryptophan is a serotonin precursor, so the body will metabolize the, the tryptophan into serotonin, or it will trigger the body to create serotonin, and serotonin is a feel-good drug. So overeating makes us feel good emotionally. Wow, and sleepy. Oh yeah. So you just want to sleep. You, <laughs> happy you feel sleep. good and sleep. You're yeah. in a happy coma, and the way you got there was from tasty treats. Right, and it, it, and it, and and rule one: you barely got out of bed. <laughs> then you overate. Next thing you know, you're back in oh. bed sleeping, and you wake up, and you're like, "Oh, I got to do it all over." <laughs> right. Okay. So no, I like it that. Be a nasty. And again, smile. Nate is not a doctor, but no. and that may have been a stick figure drawing of, of the something far concept, more complex. But it, I, it, you know, let's. It, I think that's a workable thought, as they say in acceptance and commitment therapy. Okay. Yeah. So improve your diet could be eat more, could be eat less. And certainly we're looking at, you know, if you can, any way you can incorporate fresh fruits, vegetables, like, I mean, I love donuts, but they're awesome. It's going to make you sick and you're going to feel rotten. Yeah, you really are. You know, and gosh, I remember for a while I was on this kick of, oh, I think after I, the, one of the podcasts I had, the woman half size me. Uh, the podcast and the website lost literally half of her weight, 150, 160 oh, pounds. Amazing. And she even just talked about, we have that concept of where, you know, sometimes I think, okay, I, I didn't eat the salad, but, and so really does it matter to eat the banana? It's like, absolutely. Yes. Have a banana. One is great. An apple is great. And she even talked about, you know, don't feel right now like, oh gosh, I got to go. I got to start some crazy diet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just make a little bit of movement. Progress. Right. Progress. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and and that's huge. So let's go to number five here. See a therapist. Okay. Hey, before you get to hear why Nate says that going to see a therapist is one of his 10 commandments when dealing with depression, 
it's kind of perfect timing, right? For me to jump in and say, if you, if you aren't in uh, the area here, if you aren't planning on reaching out to see if you can visit with Nate or if, trying to get on my schedule, then this, uh, this episode is brought to you by the fine folks of betterhelp.com. So if you've been on the fence about seeking professional help, look no further than your computer or your phone and go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and get 10% off your first months of services. Betterhelp.com can put you in touch with a licensed therapist or a licensed professional clinical counselor in as little as 48 hours. And it's affordable, it's flexible, and the therapists have a variety of specialties, including anxiety, depression, what we're talking about today, OCD, grief, loss, and the intake process is streamlined. It will get you to the therapist who will know how to help you and uh, and breaking up. It can be hard to do, but if you don't like the fit of your therapist, BetterHelp.com makes it incredibly easy to find a new therapist without any uncomfortable breakups. So go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch, get 10% off your first month services, which now well over a million people have done. So let's get back to the interview with Nate Christensen. So therapy is interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jonathan Shedler. Hmm. So he's a uh, psychologist in Colorado and uh, he's huge into psychotherapy. And uh, so he quoted a study that we we studied him in one of my classes, not him particularly, but we looked at uh, something he wrote. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this piece that he wrote, he quoted a study that according to the study, cognitive behavioral therapy was twice as effective for people as antidepressants okay. and psychotherapy was three times as effective for people with depression versus antidepressants. Interesting. Yeah. So there's, there is value to seeing a therapist. Yeah. Absolutely do it. Um, as a therapist, I have to say a lot of times people feel like what, you know, what's what, how is it going to help? And, and there's the, it's cliche, but it's true. Sometimes it does feel good to just kind of to, to be able to express things to somebody sure. who's not going to just tell you, knock it off. You shouldn't do that. Do you right. realize what you're doing? You should, you know, you're wasting any of those kind yes. of things. But I feel like also, I can't tell you how often I hear people express things that they just assume they're the only person in the world that feels the way that they do. Right. And then when, when you kind of don't, you know, as the therapist, you're like, oh man, thank you for telling me that. Mm-hmm. And they kind of look at you like, wait a minute, you're not freaking out right now. You're not ready to lock the door and call the, right. you know, and then, <laughs> and then I feel like sometimes that just feels like they're gives them a little bit of something a bit. And I've got my episode, right? Raising their emotional baseline. I think therapy is going to help raise your emotional baseline yeah. and every little bit eating, right? The movement, everything you're talking about as it raises the baseline, you're going to view things a little bit different. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So the next one I've got is talk to a doctor. Now this could be your personal family doctor, or this could be a psychiatrist. So antidepressants works for roughly about half the people that take them. So for some people, they're not going to be helpful, but for some people, they're hugely helpful. You don't really know what that is, you know, until you try it. Yeah. I rule it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I go to a a psychiatrist myself after what happened earlier this year. I was like, holy cow, I got to do something. This is bad. And so, so I'm seeing a psychiatrist and it's, you know, I haven't found the exact drug yet, but I, I did find some drugs that were really helpful when I was younger. Okay. So now we're kind of trying a new search. Yeah, I've got a couple of thoughts there and you tell me if you, if you disagree or if you agree, but it, you can go to your family doctor, you can go to your phys- general uh, GP, general physician, and they can prescribe an antidepressant. And yep. I'm not saying anything negative about that. Mm-hmm. A psychiatrist though, is one who is going to have probably a little bit more assessment tools. That's sure. what they do yes. for a living. Mm-hmm. And so I find that 
some people go to their GP, they ask for an antidepressant, they prescribe something that, that they feel has worked for most of the people they work with. Right. And so then if it doesn't work for the, maybe the client I'm talking to, then they just say it doesn't work. And so, I mean, again, I love my GP. I do. He's a great guy, but the psychiatrist, I, I, ideally you want to then report back to them. Here's how it's working. Right. They can adjust dosages. Right. And if that's not working, they can say, okay, we can try this one. And and then you can really rule out whether or not you there is a medication that works. It's not a, I tried something for four weeks, I really didn't feel any different, and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what you're dealing with there is a specialist versus someone that has a broad yeah. base of knowledge over a lot of different things. So they're just not going to have the depth of knowledge when it comes to mental health. And that's not to say that, I mean, I... I I actually, in my religious congregation, mm -hmm. there's a retired doctor and he's been very helpful for me because he, but he's also looked at, at other things as well, like my diet and, and he's given me other suggestions that the psychiatrist who's very focused on pharmaceuticals, yeah. you know, maybe didn't f focus on as much. So, uh, and I, while you're there, when you mentioned diet again, I mean, I know there are people that are probably going to listen that have had their lives radically changed by change in diet. And, mm -hmm. I, and I don't want to sleep on that. I feel at my core that if I, you know, if I never turned back to another donut or candy bar or bag of chips or that sort of thing, again, I would be, I know that it would help. Yes. I really do. It's difficult, yeah, but I, but, so I, but I know there are people that I've had in my office that have said, look, once I, you know, once I basically cleaned up my diet and never looked back, then life looked completely different. So, and I understand that, but then I don't want that shame or guilt feeling to come for people that say, yeah, I've tried, I can't, or that sort of thing. Well, and I think that you're looking at, at different, potentially different people. Mm -hmm. So some people are, are, I mean, that the diet is their cross mm -hmm. to bear. Yeah. I mean, that is going to be the hardest thing for them their entire life. And other people, it just doesn't, I, I have a close friend. I've always liked sugar, mm -hmm. you know, for maybe for that glycogen reason. Yeah. He didn't really care that much. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really bother him. Like he I don't understand that. He, like he sees, he sees a pile of candy <laughs> and he eats one piece. Like I'm like, how much of this pile can I get in my oh, yeah, face? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, we talk about transferences as therapists. When I have the people like, yeah, I really don't care much about food. Mm -hmm. I find myself then, man, I got to be very mindful and get back to focus with the client. Cause I right. sit there thinking, what is he talking about? What is that like? Is he just saying that? Or does he really, can he sit there at Halloween and not want to raid his kids candy? What is that like? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. What number are we on? Okay. So we are on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. All right. Be social. Okay. Now this I love can be, these. These are good. Yeah. Well, these are all very basic and simple. Yeah. And so that's why I thought, you know, if you're especially in the throes of depression, mm -hmm. hopefully these things, you know, yeah. Are a depression as a, as a, as a, something that causes one to isolate. Yes. Okay. So yes. that's where you're headed with that. Yeah. So I'm an introvert. I enjoy people. I like people, but I like environments that I have a little bit of kind of control, mm -hmm. especially like, so me walking around an amusement park kind of raises my anxiety. Okay. A lot of people. So sometimes I have a tendency to not be social, but I'm realizing now, you know, holy cow, like being social with other people is, is helping me. And, and there's, and there's pieces of that that are interesting. So the doctor that I, that I mentioned previously, who, by the way, I want to get on the podcast. I mean, I won't shout his name out yet, but I think he'd be great. Oh, he's, yeah, he, yeah. he's wonderful. Okay. So anyway, he, he came by my oh, dad. Sorry, I meant you're the psychiatrist. I want to get on the podcast. I don't know this doctor. Maybe he needs to come on the podcast as well. Well, he's retired. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. he, so he doesn't have much time. Okay, right. I mean, he's talk. got a ton of time yeah, now. Yeah, I'll have to talk. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, anyway, so he he came by. My dad brought him by, you know, after he flew all the way back from Florida, and he yeah. brought him by because I couldn't get out of bed one day. And he's like, he's like, have you heard of smile therapy? And I was like, no, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> and he's like, I want you to just look in the mirror and smile at yourself for five minutes. And I was like, oh, that's absurd. <laughs> so I didn't do it. Okay. You know, like like me, oh, I'm stubborn. Yeah. So I didn't do it. But I noticed when I was interacting with other people, I couldn't help but smile on occasion. Mm. And I was like, you know, this is kind of what he was alluding to, I think. You know, when you have an interaction with people, preferably a good interaction. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're just getting angry with the, right. talking with people, then maybe maybe we'll put the social piece on. Right. You're not going to say, well, what's the opposite political party I believe in? I think right. I'll go to debate. <laughs> yeah. Right? Okay. Let's discuss something that's going to make you really mad. Right. But, you know, for most people, just you're having just a random discussion and you just occasionally smile smile. And, and we are hardwired to be social, even mm-hmm. if we are introverted. And so on some level we're, you know, we are getting, our brain is, is, is releasing neurotransmitters from interacting with people. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but that's just kind of, I guess on some level it's a survival mechanism. No, I enjoy, I do. I, and I, I try to bring humor into therapy. I mean, I think the smiling is, I mean, it, it, yeah, it does help. It helps a lot. I, so do you want to know my, my ADD train of thought yeah, while you're telling that story? Yeah. I was ready for, I wanted that doc, the retired doctor so bad to just say, Nate, have you heard of tickle therapy? And then <laughs> he and your dad just like start mercilessly tickling you to get you out of bed. Oh, yeah, that, that wouldn't have ended well. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm ticklish at all when I'm depressed. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair point. You're just like, you're, you're in my space. You're touching me. Just go <laughs> it's not working. Okay. All right. So we're not uh, advocating tickle therapy, but smile and being social is a good thing. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things, just, you know, a few ideas, you know, if you're religious or you, you know, you can go ahead, go, go do your church activities, even if you can't get in the middle of it. And, and I understand you don't want to be there. That's the last thing in the world you want to do, but just, just be in the presence of people can sometimes, you know, over time it'll warm you up Hmm. and, you know, see family, friends. I mean, there's, you know, I had to somebody oh, a long time ago talk about they would they liked in those moments to be able to just kind of get outside of their 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 heads they loved people watching and I love that I do too yeah and so they talked about they would literally just go to a mall and uh, sit at the food court and grab a drink and then just watch people and that just they found themselves and I think it was kind of like a mindfulness exercise without them knowing sure so they were noticing people noticing interactions with people mm-hmm. and and so they're out of their head they're out and about there's movement to mm-hmm. kind of walk to the table yeah so I like that so there's a lot of different ways but sure. just absolutely. absolutely. Do you feel like the, I don't know, social media kind of things is a good thing or a bad thing at that point? Well, so I did, I did put here, which I, which I failed to, I don't want to read this is if possible, do it daily and in person. Yeah. I like the in-person thing. Yeah. Hard part with the social media is when you're down and all of a sudden you jump on there and you start seeing everybody in Cancun or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And that's, and that's one of the interesting critiques of social media, which is it, it puts us too into other people's lives. And then there becomes a comparison problem. Yeah. It's like, wow, this person I went to high school with has a beautiful home, a beautiful family mm-hmm. and they're vacationing in what you say, Cancun. Yeah. And then for me, I'm single, a graduate student, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> right. Nothing. I just more right. depressed. Right. They didn't post a picture of uh, the guy losing his wallet. Right. Somebody like ruffling through their stuff, their flight delays, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Which I mean, I'm you know, making light of that, but I do feel like the, the part where I know that everyone has their problems. Oh yeah. They do, but it's yeah. hard to kind of acknowledge that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. Okay, so eight, serve. Now, this is obviously he- heavy, you know, in, in terms of religion. That's usually a big a big component. Yeah. So I found an interesting quote. I don't know if you've heard of Carl Menninger. He, he was a psychiatrist. He died, I think, around 1990. He wrote several books, and so he's somewhat influential. And uh, someone once asked him, what advice uh, would you give to a person if that person felt a nervous breakdown coming on? And, you know, a psychiatrist... Most people are like, go see a psychiatrist right. and get some drugs. Yeah. And his response was, leave your house, find someone in need, and do something to help that person. Oh, that's perfect. So, I mean, for, I think for, especially again, for religious people, you know, I mean, you could find a million different things and say the New Testament, you right. know, you, know you, you, you find your, you, lose yourself and you find yourself yeah. losing of yourself. Yeah. Um, and I, and I do feel, so I've had, I've had, you know, a lot of, a lot of religious congregations do have immediate opportunities to serve. You can reach out to somebody, a pastor or bishop, mm-hmm. and they'll tell you, but I've had, uh, I've had some clients that don't necessarily have a, a religious community who, and I know it can sound cliche, but the soup kitchen, there are a lot of opportunities. I had one, I had one client go volunteer to cook one day a week at a, at a small group home. And uh, that led to other opportunities and other opportunities. And, and they, you know, that was a great example of that. Just kind of getting out and getting outside of yourself. Yeah. 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 Number nine, avoid triggers and self-medication. That was one of the first things you brought up. When, when we are feeling depressed, sometimes we have a tendency to, to be attracted to things that are bad for us that help in the short term. Yeah. But the long-term effect is, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's so much worse that the, the, the little, I understand why you do it in the short term because I've been guilty in the past of doing self-destructive things to yeah. just get that relief because you're feeling so awful. You just want to feel a little bit better. Yeah. But you're training your brain to when I feel this certain way, now I will turn to this addictive mm-hmm. thing and that, and it will, it will release this uh, chemical rush mm-hmm. uh, for the temp, for the moment. And then quite frankly, I may feel worse after, but yeah. then which the ironic part is then when you feel bad, then your brain says, Give Wait a minute. More. Yeah. Hey, remember, we got the, the rush here a minute ago. Mm-hmm. And so then you're just training the brain. And then we go back into that the power of habit, Charles Duhigg book, where the little walnut size thing, the basal ganglia, the habit center, it's just waiting for you yeah. to throw it some things that, you know, so that your brain can just say, I don't really have to think about this anymore. We just do this. Yeah. So your brain wants you to create those um, patterns, those channels, yeah. those neuropathways so that it can just say, all right, you, you take care of that. I'm just going to kind of be here chilling because I want to live forever. You know, and it's interesting you mentioned that. So you, you, or maybe I brought up Dr. Jordan Peterson because of the making your bed thing. So he, he posted, he's posted over the years. He's a professor at the university of Toronto. He's posted over the years, some, some of his lectures and one of his lectures that I, that I watched was on addiction. And he talked about how for, for most people, the physical addiction is gone in a week or two. Yeah. It's the neural pathways that hang on for years and years. And, and so, you know, changing those neural pathways is the really difficult. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to go deep in a few, in a a month or two, I've got a series I want to do on ADD because I, you know, I'm very open about that. I I struggle with Mm -hmm. attention deficit disorder. Mm -hmm. And, and even when one gets medicated and the, you know, and they feel like now they can focus, there are years, decades of patterns of just, you know, if I'm on the internet, it's check this, this, and this. If I'm right. coming into my office, I can put, I can do these things. And, and even though you are, you feel 
hope. You feel different. You feel like I can focus. It's it's amazing the the just the tug of just the behavioral yep. things that have been kind of ingrained over years. Absolutely, power of association. I mean, mm-hmm. it's why quitting smoking can be so hard for people. It's a social thing. It's uh, like every morning I have a cigarette. It's, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's just. And, and so you stop smoking and the body all of a sudden it doesn't want nicotine, but then you're seeing all of these associations. There's a great podcast called the hidden brain and they talk about quitting smoking and 72 hours after and the, what happens with the brain and the body. And, and, and it's kind of like that. There's a lot that happens there to kind of put someone in a position where they can succeed. Mm-hmm. But they talked about the social part and the part where, you know, you're going out together at work or, I mean, it's just, it is, there's so many, there's these neural pathways that are, mm-hmm. that are ingrained. Yeah. So same thing with the things that we do to avoid kind of managing our depression. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the last one is don't try to be perfect. Just try to improve. Mm. And, and that for me has been kind of a, a, you know, a constant in my life is I've, I've sometimes set the bar too high. Yeah. And when you're feeling really depressed, you just got to set it low and, and, you know, shoot, if you can't get out of bed for three days, but you get out of bed one day, even if you do nothing else, the fact you got out of bed is an improvement. Yeah. So tomorrow try to do a little bit more and guess what? There's going to be some days where you're going to do, you know, well, you'll, you'll do great. And the next day you'll do bad. And then you want to feel depressed again. Well, right. I mean, you're going to backslide. Yes. Just be aware of it. It's okay. You know, the next day you can have an opportunity to do a little bit better. So just to reiterate, get up, be productive, get active, improve your diet, see a therapist, talk to a doctor, be social, serve, avoid triggers, self-medication. Don't try to be perfect. Just try to improve. And and there's other things that could certainly be helpful for religious people. It could be prayer mm-hmm. or, you know, re- reading their, their religious texts. Have you have you been a fan of mindfulness at all? Has that been a part of any of what yes, you've done? Yes, absolutely. So for me, mindfulness can help in many different circumstances. I find it particularly helpful when I'm feeling very uh, anxious. Okay. So I don't necessarily quite incorporate as much when... I'm, yeah. when I'm going through a depressed state, but, but I also, when I'm really depressed, have focus problems. Okay. So mindfulness would be especially helpful, but I like can't focus sometimes. So I don't even like go there. No, that makes sense. That does. I'm a huge, I mean, I've done a lot of podcasts, I think recently on acceptance and commitment therapy and that there's a mindfulness component there. And I had pulled up a study uh, not too long ago that acceptance and commitment therapy, also known as ACT, mm-hmm. is a, the, this is titled ACT is a little known fast treatment for depression. Some psychologists believe that accepting your negative thoughts can help them pass faster. And I know it's uh, much more complicated than that, but with accepted with ACT, the ACT was developed in the 1980s, but now there's finally enough. It's really, there's enough evidence now that we can kind of accept it as a, it's a, it's an evidence-based model that shows ACT being effective in treating anxiety and depression and chronic pain and addiction and those sort of things. But so instead of like uh, classic CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, and, and CBT, a therapist encourages you to try and challenge your negative or irrational thoughts. ACT kind of wants you to be more mindful and accepting of them, make more room for them, which I know can kind of sound a bit squishy if you haven't really tried to do it. Right. But I think that it, it goes against that I'm broken or and it's more of just 
these are just some feelings or thoughts and I have plenty of these and they're going to come and they're going to go. And, and then what do I do with them and how do I learn how to kind of make room for them? You know, and, and that's an interesting thing when you talk about, about our emotions and kind of how we feel broken, because you, you know, there, when you talking about feeling broken, when you're in a ma- major depressive state, that is like the ultimate feeling of broken from what I've experienced. Yeah. And, and we have a tendency to want to figure out what is wrong with us. Yeah. Like I feel bad, therefore I am bad. Yeah, yes, and and yes. It's, sometimes you have to to accept the fact. Okay, well, I'm not necessarily good or bad. At least this is my perspective. Okay, and and what I've found is just accepting. Okay, I'm Nate. I'm I'm not necessarily all. I'm not all good. I'm not all bad. Mm. The the brain wants to classify things. Yeah, it and does. we can get ourselves into trouble. Yeah, when we you know if we feel bad inside, then our brain might just tell ourselves. Okay, well, if I feel bad, I am bad. Yeah. Well, so, oh, I mean, cut you off. No, 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 go for it. So that's what, in acceptance, I'm just saying, in act, one of the coolest things is you start to say, if you start to say, okay, I can get over this or I'm not bad, they call it reason giving. And you kind of sit back and say, all right, what, now just kind of pay attention to what stories your brain tells you in the next few seconds. And it's going to say, you know, no, you are bad or, well, you haven't gotten over this yet, or I can't believe you're back in this state or, and when you really dig deep on act, you start to then label those, you recognize those as stories that your brain's trying to hook you and you will say, oh, there's the, I can't do it story. Or Mm -hmm. I recognize that one, the old, you know, you'll never get over this story. They're just stories our brain's telling us and they tell us that. And then we become in act, they call it fused. So then you get um, into, you become fused with that belief. And then that belief or thought is, it is fact. But so in act, you're really working on defusing the guy who founded act, this guy named Stephen Hayes, kind of talking about the mindfulness or meditation. He says, when you meditate, you let your thoughts pass by like a cloud in the sky. You're noticing them rather than pushing them away and acts based on that idea. So the key said isn't isn't cleaning up your thoughts. It's changing the relationship to the world within yourself, kind of like what you're saying. Right. So he says, and, and what I love about it, it's based on values, too. So it's it is. It's what's your idea of success. You don't have to come out of this and then and write the novel or go get your PhD or whatever, because that's going to if that's not your core value, then you're just kind of setting yourself up to even feel worse about. Yeah. And, and you see that when, when we talk about morality, yeah. like two different people, same event. One person is, you know, it, it, it's crushed them because in their own mind, you know, it's a horrible thing. Another person maybe was raised in, say, a sex positive household mm-hmm. and they have the same type of event happen in their house and, 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 you know, within their own life and it doesn't bother them. So, you know, on some level, you know, our, our, our brain is, is, is in charge even when your life feels totally out of control. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cause it might even be kind of keeping you there. That's when the, in act they call it, that's when you are, you're fusing. Well, I, I almost want to kind of go, you, I'm so close to going off on a tangent, but I like what you just said there. Let me see if there was any other act stuff. And then I'm, I am going to go off on a quick tangent. I mean, so there was a, I kind of pulled a little note because this one referenced to my old alma mater, University of Utah, a clinical psychologist there, Megan call who uses act with clients said an elite runner might experience the same pain after a long run is someone with a physical disability she observed but the runner doesn't believe the pain will limit him and the person with the disability doesn't have to either now that can sound you know like okay this clinical psychologist doesn't understand but she just said there's a difference between thinking i can't handle the situation 
and I'm having the thought that I can't handle this call observes. The latter might uh, lead you to realize that indeed you can. So the, the kind of the, the concept there is you do, you are the, the way you diffuse from your I'm broken is I notice I am feeling broken when, or if you're, you know, I'm sad, it's I notice I'm feeling sad when I am, you know, so it's not that I'm, like you said, I'm not, I'm not fused to sadness. I'm not fused to anger. I'm not fused to failure. I notice I am feeling this. Yeah. And, and so the little diffusion, one more quick thing. And I, I want to do my tangent there too. In 2014, there was a TEDx talk by a, an addiction and cancer researcher, Jonathan Bricker. And he described how some see act more effective at controlling cravings to like junk food, cigarettes, and the typical approach. And I like what he said here. He said, you can't win a tug of war with the craving monster, he says in the talk, because eventually the monster will win and you will give in. Act, acceptance, and commitment therapy encourages you just to simply drop the rope. If you allow the monster to occupy the same space in your body, you'll discover that he's not as threatening as he appears, and sometimes he'll even go away. And I kind of thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah so is. drop the rope, right? The thing that the tangent that I'm dying to go on is in uh, in acceptance and commitment therapy, you can have a goal. Mm-hmm. And in this one, I've actually used this so many times this week in a session because somebody brought it up. But if your goal is to make money, and you don't look at your value that you know we need to lead with our values to get to our goal. Uh, someone was telling me that they had worked in this basically a call center where they were they felt like they were basically doing they were fraud. You know, mm-hmm. they were trying to cover it up. The people up top were oh, it's not really fraud. You right. know, just just read this script. You know, and uh, that sort of thing. And so the money was there. Person was making money, but they felt just horrible about right. it because they were like, my goal is I want to be honest. I want to do this with integrity. Right. So then the, in, in act, I remember reading in a book at one point where you can have two people that want to climb a mountain. So the goal is to get to the mountain. Mm-hmm. But if one person's, you know, values are to be very present and enjoy and, you know, then they're going to every bit of it, they're going to enjoy um, the, the camping on the way up. They're going to enjoy the, the rocks and the trail and the trees. Mm-hmm. So then the other person is just, I have to, I have to get to the top. Right. I got to get there as soon as I can. So then if a horrific storm occurs and now we have to scrap the mission, you know, these two climbers that had the same goal, the one who is just his values are around just enjoying the, the being very present mm-hmm. is going to say that was a success. And then the one who didn't who, you know, his only goal was to get to the top now feels like a horrible failure. Right. I thought that was kind of deep. That's really deep. I mean, I, I think that that shows the, the value. I mean, it's, it's, just a story, but it mm-hmm. just shows the value of changing our, the way we think about certain events and certain things in our lives. And, and depression is mm-hmm. probably, I mean, you can see the application for depression. Yeah. I mean, that's right. Yeah. So if you're looking at it as more of, Hey, I'm on a journey. And if, if my, you know, I guess if my goal is you, I would love to alleviate symptoms of depression and and function better, whatever that looks like. But my, but my values around that are, you know, I'm not going to beat myself up about it. I'm going to, that's why I love your 10 commandments that I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of take this slow. I'm going to make small steps, you know, then it's going to look a lot different along the way. Then it's, oh, I didn't, I didn't get my dream job or my dream career or whatever, because depression got in the way. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Nate, we could have kept going, huh? This is good. Well, and, and this is just one small part of depression. Right. Like we didn't even talk about depressed, like child or, you know, oh, depression yeah. and teen right, right. adolescence and, and I smell bipolar the, and right? all the different yeah, forms you're of right. depression. This yeah. is like just basic stuff. All right. I smell a part two coming down the road. You, you could probably do whole series. 10 parts. Okay. Kind of All right. Uh, Nate, thanks for coming back on the virtual couch. This was, this was amazing. Now, you know, you're going to have to write the 10 
commandments of managing depression. I'm going to have to, I need to have that somewhere I can point people to, right? Yeah. Guest blog on the TonyOrbay.com website. Well, just, just remember, I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm just trying to improve. So I might write a paragraph a day. So okay, it could be a few weeks. Okay. That is fair. I will acknowledge that. I noticed that I was feeling pushy and I will back off of that. All right, Nate, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, so we'll see you again on the virtual couch. Strengths and